When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So, you know, it always astounds me when the the cheerleaders of today's economy and, and today's markets are, are allowed to go on the record or on major television networks, including CNBC, including um, you know uh, you know press conferences with 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 Mnuchin and and Larry Kudlow and others, and allowed to say the things that they say unchecked. Now, don't get me wrong, everybody's entitled to their opinion and everybody's entitled to their freedom of speech. However, there seems to be a lack of of critical thinking in those that are interviewing or those that are having these discussions with these oftentimes very influential and very prominent figures. And so I want to ask the question, the rhetorical question, and dive deeper into this, of if everything is so great, then why, and and I'll let you finish that sentence with whatever you want, and I'll add some potential uh, um, combinations that we can use to, to finish that sentence, and I'll start off with this one. If everything is so great, then why is there such a desperation by both political parties and a vast, vast majority of Americans to get a second major COVID relief, recession relief bill through Congress and signed by the White House. And we'll start right there. If everything's so great, then why does today's economy need roughly $2 trillion worth of stimulus? Now, you know, the, I think Senate yesterday proposed something like $500 billion, you know, half a trillion. The Democrats are up around $2.2 trillion. Republicans have been slowly inching up $1.6. I think Trump put out their $1.8 trillion. So you can say, you know, $1.6 to $2.2 trillion. If everything is so great, then why does the economy need the, the U.S. government to spend roughly one-tenth of GDP just to to get the economy moving. You know, one-tenth, one-fifteenth, whatever, one-eighth, whatever you want to use. Who knows what GDP is these days. In a single bill. And that's in addition to a massive relief bill. Previously, stimulus checks, bailouts for companies, paycheck protection program, et cetera, et cetera. If everything is so great. I mean, that's the thing. The White House has been, you know, saying, how about we try and push through this airline relief bill, which, by the way, I'm also not a fan of. Um, but, but you know, this airline relief bill of, you know, tens of billions. And, and I get that, but that's not what people are asking for. That's not what the vast majority of Americans and honestly, a lot of politicians are pushing for. It's a massive stimulus bill. That is not representative of a stable, strong, robust economy. That's representative of an economy in a deep recession that requires massive, unprecedented, how's that for a word, unprecedented, we've been hearing that a lot lately, unprecedented amount of fiscal stimulus on an ongoing basis. This wasn't one round. They're saying we want a round two of this. And, you know, there's plenty of others calling for round three, round four, etc. 
If everything is so great, then how come the Federal Reserve continues to keep rates so low and continues to have such a massive balance sheet despite the fact that, you know, well, again, everything's going so great? I mean, this isn't another question. You know, it, it, you know I'm a fan of analogies. So how is this for an analogy? Let's, let's use, a, let's use a, a medicine, a healthcare type of analogy. If somebody is in an intensive care unit... They're intubated. They're on a whole host of, of medications to help manage blood pressure, to, to help um, um, normalize electrolyte levels, to, to keep them sedated, etc. Would you say that person is fine? No. Is that person stable? Maybe you could say they're stable, but they're not okay. Everything is not good with that individual. That individual is likely to die without that support, potentially within minutes. That individual requires that ongoing intervention by doctors to keep them alive. That person is not okay. Things are not going well. Their health could not be described as robust in that situation. And yet that's what we have today. Right? You can think of fiscal stimulus, this ongoing fiscal stimulus, as, as kind of like a recurrent, um, I don't know, resuscitation, trying to restart the heart over and over again um, as, it, as it looks as though it's slowly failing. And then you have this ongoing intervention, not these rounds, but this ongoing intervention by the Fed in the form of intubation and a whole host of medications and everything else. That person is not okay. Today's econ- economy is not okay. If everything's okay with the economy, if, if everything's going good, why is, is division within the country, uh, uh, polarization along political and, and racial and, and ethnic and age and, and geog- geographic lines, maybe at the highest levels it's been since maybe the Civil War? You know, maybe, maybe that's, that's a stretch. Maybe you don't have to go that far back. But why is it at such high levels? I mean, it's if you look through times in history, these types of, of periods of, of, of social upheaval, of social unrest, generally don't coincide with periods of good economic growth, right? Of a strong economy, of a stable economic and monetary system. No, generally they coincide with with major declines in those things, economies and, and monetary systems, sometimes governments as well. And yet that's what we have today. You know, we, we've obviously seen a large amount of protests really since COVID lockdowns started. And and then, of course, there's the George Floyd protests and, and riots um, later on in, in the year, you know, starting in, in May or June. And since then, they've, they've, they haven't gone away. They've gotten not as bad, but everyone's expecting this election to, for those things to ramp up once again, to potentially be worse than they were in, in June, right? Some, some are saying we're heading for a civil war. The, the governor of, of Michigan was, was, was almost kidnapped by, by, um, some militia members. Uh, if everything is so great, then why is this division in play? Again, that's not something that you generally see. And I'm not saying that we can boil this down, you know, that's, that it's all about the economy. That's all about monetary policy. And that's what drives society. In fact, I would say that that's wrong. Um, there are many, including 
those on on the the uh, the FOMC uh, for the Federal Reserve um, that that believe that that is true that monetary policy and to some extent fiscal policy can help right social wrongs that low interest rates or quantitative easing can somehow fix racism in this country and, and fix might be an exaggeration but but it can help racism or the when in reality those things generally actually create larger amounts of of disparity um with inequality within the country because it leads to greater wealth inequality and so it's wrong to say that this is all about the economy that this is all about the monetary policy because that would be giving them credit to say that they could actually fix these problems that's not that's not entirely true however it does play a huge role in it. The economy, and again, we can go back to this, is it any coincidence, right? Coincidence, a coincidence of events. This massive amount of upheaval, yes, coincides with the pandemic and, and you know unprecedented lockdowns, but it also coincides with the worst recession the United States has really ever experienced in terms of depth. Now, the jury is out still on, on length. I think it will end up being potentially one of the longest recessions or, or you know, pseudo... It's going to be like a recession. I don't know. It could be up and down along the way, but it could potentially be the longest, you know, stretch longer than, than the Great Depression. Um, but, in, but in terms of, of the depth of this recession, probably the worst we've had, again, since the Civil War, maybe longer. Um, is it any coincidence that those two things intersect with each other? I don't think so. You know, I think that plays a huge role in it. Joblessness, homelessness, people worried about not being able to pay bills, worried about losing their house, um, worried about not being able to to eat. Um, that plays a big role in in all of this, um, and I think that that has to be realized when when we're having this conversation about uh, why are things the way that they are. And and so. You know, to, to wrap up this thought of mine, you know, if things are so great, then why? Um, things aren't great. Doesn't mean that that things are terrible or that this, this can only end in one way, and that's a full-blown civil war or full-blown breakdown of society and the, the, the economic system and the monetary system. No, that's not necessarily true, I don't think. Uh, but things are not great. The economy is not great. The economy currently is continues to rely on unprecedented support from the Federal Reserve. Maybe the only precedent, only time it's precedented, would be earlier on in this recession when they, they were supporting to an even greater extent. Um, it's requiring unprecedented levels of, of fiscal stimulus from the government, not only in dollar terms, but also in terms of, of dollars to, you know, the ratio to GDP, Um massive amounts of spending. Um, things are not fine as evidenced by a high level of, of social discord, um, um, of, of maybe discord isn't the right word, of social uh, polarization, of, of upheaval, of, of mass protests and riots thus far in 2020, and, and likely again, you know, within the month as we get closer to or after election day. Things are not fine. Things are not okay. And, and I think we have to stop there and remember that that relates to our own personal lives. Things are not okay. They are likely to get worse. Doesn't mean they have to, but they are likely to get worse. And so you have to stop here and think, are you in a good position to do that? Are you in a good position to be prepared for what's coming next? And, and again, just mass protests and riots and, and 
borderline civil war. That's that's just one facet of it. Um, but are you prepared for that? Are you prepared financially for things that that may cause markets to go down? For for um, payment systems, bank accounts to not work well. Are you prepared for major destruction of our currency via inflation or debasement of our currency? Are you prepared mentally for all this to go down? Are you, are you prepared to, to see events like what almost happened in Michigan happen elsewhere in the United States? Are you prepared for a contested election that you know one half of the U.S. population or 40% or 30% don't respect the results of? Right? Are you are you prepared for not just protesters but but full blown um, um, you know militant individuals clashing in the streets of America? These are all things that potentially can go wrong and and have a, I think a fairly high likelihood of going wrong, the greatest likelihood in a very long time in the United States. Are you prepared for that? Um, you know where is you, where's your hope in life? And and this is where I get you know sort of preachy sometimes. But where is your hope in life? Um, you know, for me, I can find peace despite these circumstances because I have a faith in, in God, God of the Bible. But where is your faith found? Obviously, I'm a little biased as to where uh, you're, you're best off. Um, but, but it's important to think about those things as well. Right? Are you prepared for what's coming next? And I think the answer for a lot of you probably is yes. You're, you're saying, I got my silver and gold. I'm well diversified. Uh, I, I have... Uh, protection for myself and my family. I'm mentally prepared for this. Food, water source, heating, whatever it is. I'm prepared for maybe not the worst of worst, but but a pretty bad breakdown of, of things. Um, so good. Good on you. You know, keep keep mentally preparing yourself then or, or preparing in other ways. But I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we prepared for this? You know, are we prepared for what could come next in 2020? Um, and, and then from there, you know, once we move on from are we prepared or not, is, is to start considering, you know, what, what is this timeline going to potentially look like? What types of, of things, you know, are we looking at potentially having to be prepared for? If things are not okay and things could get much worse, and again, like I said before, doesn't mean that they will, doesn't mean that they have to, doesn't mean that we're going to have to see massive dollar destruction, uh, or 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 social upheaval or protest doesn't mean that that has to happen. Certainly seems a path that we're on, though. If that happens, what type of, of events are we looking at? And this is going to be different from person to person. I mean, I want to make this as personal as possible. I, I, for instance, if if you live in Boise, Idaho, yes, it's interesting and maybe important to know about what's going on in um, Chicago. Let's say there's massive protests, riots, buildings burning down. Yeah, it's important. Is it all that applicable to your own life at that moment in time? No, not as much. Not as much as if you lived in Chicago, right? So start thinking about how this relates to your own life. What is your location, your geographic location? Rural, suburban, urban? You know, for, for, for those that are, you know, count themselves as, as urbanites, well, what what type of a political makeup, and not even just political, but what type of a makeup are we looking at in your respective city? There's big differences between a Chicago and a New York and an L.A. and a Louisville and a Boise, if you want to consider that, you know, urban, and a Seattle and, and on and on and on. There's a lot of different factors in play. Um, 
one block, it, it may be a different story versus another block within the city limits. What's your what's your get out of dodge plan? Do you have one? Is, do you feel that that's necessary? Or are you writing this out? You'd rather be a participant, maybe not, you know, a, a violent participant, but you'd rather be somebody that can be there to, to help rebuild or to help calm tensions versus get out of there. Well, I get that too, you know, taking take, take into consideration the safety of yourself and your family, but I get that too, you know. Um, what are your plans if, if these types of protests or these types of riots or violent individuals or violent clashes come to your city? What if, what if they come to your neighborhood? What are you going to do? Are you going to stand on your front doorstep uh, with a gun and tell them to leave? You know, are you going to pretend you're not home? Are you, you know, these are all things to think about. Or do you want to just not be there in the first place when it happens? You know, um, I'm not saying yeah, take one decision or another. I'm just saying that these are real scenarios that I think we've seen play out in 2020 and we will continue to see play out in 2020. Um, you know, another thing that, you know, a good reminder, I remember in 2020 in June, you know, uh, Minneapolis, of course, I'm from Minnesota, Minneapolis, we had um, pretty major protests, riots and whatnot, and, and the National Guard was deployed. Well, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with that in your neighborhood, right? There's videos of National Guard, you know, Humvees or MRAPs, I forget which one it was, you know, driving around suburban streets in, in Minneapolis or St. Paul or some suburb. Um, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to deal with borderline or full-blown martial law, right? What's your game plan there? Yeah, obviously, those that are in a more rural location can handle that a little more easily. They're probably not as concerned about you, all things considered. Um, but how are you going to deal with that, right? How are you going to deal with the disruption to your own financial uh, uh, plan? What happens if you're out of work for a couple of weeks because things get so out of hand? Or a couple of months, right? What are you looking at financially there? What about the things that you might need to buy during that time period? Food, um, um, a reminder, we saw what happened in June, right? What were some of the major targets for, for these people that, that, um, felt the need to, to cause massive destruction? <sighs> yes. Sometimes government buildings, occasionally houses, but a lot of it was businesses, small businesses, but also large businesses. Your Walmart down the street might be burnt out, might be boarded up might be guarded by a couple security guards or officers or whatever if if things get bad enough, right? And and it might be like that for a while. They might only be letting people in one by one, you know, 50 people in there at once because, yeah, people will need food and water at some point. But, but you know, what is that going to look like for you? And, and would you prefer to avoid that, you know, maybe stock up on some of those things ahead of time? And I know I'm sounding like this is going to get really bad. And again, it doesn't have to get that bad. It doesn't mean that it will get that bad. I'm just saying, a lot of people didn't see June 2020 coming. Even apart from the COVID, they didn't see the George Floyd and all of that coming, okay? This time, we have a pretty good indicator of what's coming. There's a pretty good indication that this election, in some way, shape, or form, is going to be contested by one party or the other. There's going to be irregularities, you'll hear that word a lot, or just you know, full-blown voter fraud. And regardless of if it's actually happening or not, that's, yes, important, but that's not what is directly important to to how you're going to navigate those days, those weeks, those months, potentially. All right? 
things could get out of hand very quickly. And again, they might not. And I hope they don't. But but it certainly feels like like a, a perfect storm is brewing in, in today's society here in the United States. And and hey, you know, the same is true for people elsewhere in the world too. I don't want to forget about my Canadian, British, Irish, Australian, New Zealander, whatever else, you know, nationality you are around the world. I don't want to forget about you as well. Um, you know, obviously you guys may not be dealing with an election at the same time frame, but but have a plan for yourself as well, you know. If things get really out of hand here in the United States, then obviously it's going to extend elsewhere as well. So keep that in mind as well. As always, though, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast. And God bless.